in my time, I've trained over 2 million sales professionals. And what I've learned is that, that, that often the biggest thing that stands in somebody's way is their ability to control a conversation so the other person can see what you're saying as opposed to hear what you're saying. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have master of influence and persuasion and author of Exactly What to Say, Phil M. Jones, as he shares how to ask for anything without fear of rejection, words that pique curiosity, and ways to grow confidence in conversation. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, and today we have with us Phil M. Jones, who's the author of Exactly What to Say, uh, and we, and for those uh, listening along, we actually have this on video as well today, so you can check it out. Very nice. And uh, and so, Phil, um, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you are the king of Audible, which we found out. You're one of the most uh, listened to people ever. It, it was it in 2018 was the most listened to? Most listened to nonfiction of 2018. Nice. And uh, do you think that's because of the content or you just have the cool accent? Well, there are other people with a similar accent, <laughs> perhaps many that have better diction than me. So I'm, I'm going to hope that it was more than the accent. So what but was I, think, I, I think one of the big reasons that the book did so well on that platform is it's a book about spoken word. Mm-hmm on a platform that produces content in spoken word. And if you write a book that helps people have more effective conversations, you can't read that content and actually find it to work with the right cadence or the right punctuality. And and, and um, it's a book that people listen to on multiple times because it doesn't stick first time around. They want it on repeat. What was that process like recording it? Um, honestly, I arrived to a studio in New York City to be able to record it because I felt like I should probably get the audio book out there in the world. And I recorded it in one hour and 45 minutes in one take. And um, we then had an hour and 15 minutes worth of content and I left and I had a sore throat on the day and had 15 throat coat teas ahead of it and um, <laughs> was gargling, I think, salt water to, uh, to be able to get through that ahead of time. And I, I didn't ever expect it to be a big thing is the truth. It was like, oh, I've got to get that done. So the recording was pretty straightforward in fairness. Now, what's the uh, what's sort of this partnership going forward with, with Audible? I know you've got some amazing things coming up. I'm a big believer in, in spoken word is, is the biggest growth platform for the way that people want to be able to receive their information. And it can accompany another activity, right? People listening to this right now are probably doing something else whilst listening. And video can be harder to be able to do that. It needs to bring more of your attention. So we're seeing it through podcasts. We're seeing it through Audible that the market is screaming and saying, we want to listen to great content more so than we want to watch great content. And um, knowing that that was true, following the success of the first book on Audible, we um, had a partnership to be able to produce an original piece of content. I am a big believer that everybody is selling something. And I produced a, a program as an Audible original, lived out a, a lifelong goal of, um, of performing off-Broadway as a one-man show teaching sales skills to a room <laughs> full of a completely mixed audience that became a, a workshop experience for a listener. So it puts the listener at the center of the workshop as the finished product as opposed to being the recording of a live event. We released that back end of last year. And, and then this year I have a secret project that, that launches out in January and I'm not allowed to tell anybody publicly what it is. Oh, wow. But Audible will have some big announcements coming uh, Q1 of next year, of which I play a, a fairly major part of something that's going to impact the business community with um, access to audio content. Now, one of the things that, that people come into this, so 
it seems like the group that maybe focuses the most maybe on what to say would be sales groups, but maybe the groups that need it the most are those that are outside of that, whether it's leaders or people in the healthcare profession or independent business owners. Um, what, why is this so important to them? Well, you know as well as I do, the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment when you're saying it, right? That is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say. And what we bump into in almost every industry is that there are crucial and critical conversations that are happening within organizations where people find themselves lost for words. I mean, if you're listening to this right now, I bet you can think about a scenario in your own life where you can look back on it, crystallize a key moment that if you had the right words at that time, your life would look very different today. So actually, it's the non-sales audiences that find themselves having a lack of confidence in conversation, is that they're not achieving the outcomes that they're looking for. And I've learned that the biggest difference between people who do good and people who do great are those that know exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. They know that the right words at the right time can make all the difference. What are some of those examples of things where, uh, of a time that you know, maybe a leader is talking to an employee or a parent is talking to their child, whatever it might be, where it's a difficult conversation how can they approach that? Well, why don't we just have some fun for a second with, with like an ask, right? The biggest reason that people don't ask for the things that they want in their life is because of what? Why don't people ask for things? Uh, they're afraid they might get rejected. Yeah. So I hear that answer every single time. It doesn't matter who I ask, I get that same response, some form of fear of, fear of rejection. Yeah, ironically, we face rejection in every area of our life on an almost daily basis. And in most circumstances, we're fine with it. Yet it's the biggest reason that people do not move forward and get the success that they would want in life because they are fearful of asking for things because they might get rejected. So why don't I give you a couple of sequences of words that you could use to get maybe, uh, well, give you the ability to ask just about anybody, just about anything, completely rejection free. Right. So first example might be that if I wanted somebody to be able to consider my idea, instead of asking them directly, what I might do is preface the idea with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you. Now, if I preface an idea with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you, your little voice does two things. Thing number one is it says, well, um, I'll be the judge of that, <laughs> right? And yeah. takes full responsibility for any action that's going to follow. And the second thing is curiosity is then peaked. It says like, what is it? You lean in and you find yourself wanting to be able to understand it more. I might put a three-letter word on the end of that sequence of words with purpose to be able to create a, um, almost a swipe out of that to get them to listen to what comes next. And that three-letter word would be the word but. See, when you hear the word but in a typical conversation, it negates what was said prior, but in this set of circumstances, it gives you permission to be able to talk about what's next. Mm -hmm. So I could say to my wife, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but I'm thinking of going to the XYZ restaurant on Friday night. Do you think that would be a good idea? See, there is no option to be able to say no to that question. If you were looking for maybe an employee in your organization to maybe step up, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but there might be a promotion opportunity that is coming up. And would that be something that you'd be interested in? And it gives us permission to be able to plant this idea into somebody's head without it feeling like it's a heavy ask. And we remove no being an option. Mm -hmm. Same psychology can be utilized in an even more simple way. See, if I asked a room full of a thousand people who in the room would see themselves as open-minded, how many hands do you think I'm going to get go up? Well, most people, I think, would yeah. say that, yeah. Most people would like to admit to being open-minded, and the alternative of which is, is like closed-minded, which is kind of admitting you're an idiot. So nobody wants <laughs> to be able to do that. Knowing the fact that the whole world likes to see themselves as open-minded, we can use that to be able to have more influence in our ask by inserting the words open-minded into the form of a question. Because it's the person who's asking the questions that's in control of the conversation. So I take that open-minded knowledge, I insert it into the form of a question, and the question I might use is how open-minded would you be? 
So how open-minded would you be that we choose to go somewhere different on Friday rather than where we've got booked? How open-minded would you be to put in some extra hours in so that what we can do is deliver this project on time? How open-minded would you be to maybe considering how our product can perform versus your incumbent? How open-minded would you be to me showing you some ways that I could save you some money? How open-minded would you be to try in the words, how open-minded are you more often, right? <laughs> uh, and you see how much easier it softens an ask mm -hmm. and it stops it feeling like the pressure is in the ask and it stops it being pushy and it means actually the other person is pulled towards wanting to do the thing as opposed, as opposed to feeling like they are being pushed down to be able to achieve the same result. And we work with a lot of international audiences. So even if an event might take place in Dallas or L.A. or New York or wherever it might be. Um, and uh, does this translate well? Uh, obviously, we, we come from yeah. both English speaking countries. But how does that translate when you're talking to an international audience? Yeah, great question. And I've now spoke on 57 different countries, five different continents. And every time I go somewhere new, I ask myself the same question. Like, is this going to resonate? Is this going to hear? You know, is this a, an English only thing? And what's interesting is that I've never had an issue of it translating. And I think I know why. Because yes, I wrote a book called Exactly What to Say, but really what Exactly What to Say is are sequences of words that are reliant upon human principles. And providing that what we're dealing with is humans who have um, things like empathy and humans who have things like care and consideration towards change and humans who are undeniably selfish, um, then these word choices will move across. And I think that's been amplified further by we're now in 29 different languages or something with the book. Um, and I get responses from people even in Farsi and in um traditional or simplified Chinese, where people have reached out to me and like, this book is amazing. And, and, and I got asked to do the proof it was like, like, you know, are you happy with the translation? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's your job, right? Like, that's your, your job. He's like, I can't proof this because I don't read that language. But, you know, I was in, in Peru um, just two weeks ago doing an event in, in Lima and it was being translated in real time. Um, and, and what was interesting is that entire audience came to me afterwards. And even the interpreter came to me afterwards. She's like, this stuff's really good. Where did you come up with this idea? Because it seems like it's, it's simple, but it's, it's very impactful. So where did that originate with you? So my, my background is in, uh, in building businesses, running retail stores, and helping sales professionals to be able to improve their results. And I come at the world of sales from a very different angle to almost everybody. And what selling is in my world is, is earning the right to make a recommendation. It's not embellishing a product or service with features and benefits, hoping something might stick. It is earning the right to make a recommendation. In my time, I've trained over 2 million sales professionals. And what I've learned is that, that, that often the biggest thing that stands in somebody's way is their ability to control a conversation so the other person can see what you're saying as opposed to hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And through my coaching and analytics of, of helping sales professionals get better, I've learned that um, there are often recurring sequences of words that people who are crushing it would be reaching for. I have learned that there are common objections and common situations, regardless of industry, that people find there's points of friction in conversation. And instead of trying to win the battle, I learned that avoiding the battle ahead of time was actually a better approach. So I started to write questions for a living. Not write scripts, I would write questions that control conversations. And I would be consulted by some of the world's biggest brands to say, hey, can you look at our existing conversational frameworks and see what you can do to be able to improve conversion rates? This fascinated me. And what I found is I was going industry to industry to industry, and all of the words I was reaching for were the same. All of the tools that I was creating, regardless of industry, were the same. And regardless of what I would speak on, the biggest takeaway from my audience was like, hey, that word stuff you do is really good. 
So I figured if I could just package this down into a format that would be easy, it would be in great shape. And I'm going to tell you exactly where the book Exactly What to Say came from. I did a training back in 2009 for a group of telesales, um, telecommunications companies, admin and customer service staff. They wanted their admin and customer service staff to be uh, more confident on the phones, have more control over the situations, to be able to get people to be able to see the outcome more clearly, more easily. So they wanted a sales training for people who weren't salespeople. And they wanted a takeaway for it. What I did is I wrote a takeaway that was called 17 Magic Words That You Can Use to Have More Influence and Impact in Your Conversations. It was a two-page PDF. The next day, I found myself in a mastermind group with some of my other speaker, trainer, author friends. And they were complaining about how difficult it was to be able to get a book to the position of published. I said, it's not hard to get published with all the tools that we have available. You could self-publish a book. You could get it done in as little as seven to 10 days. They went, that can't be done. So me and my big mouth got me into trouble. I said, here's what I could do is I could take a book and I could turn it around in the next seven to 10 days just to prove you wrong. I took that two page PDF and I turned it into a book called Magic Words and rolled it out within 10 days. Now, it wasn't my finest piece of, of, of literary work, um, but back in 2010, 2011, that blew up. We did like 120,000 copies in my small industry. It was great. It was a fun little giveaway. It became a PDF download on websites, etc. but it became like almost my signature work back then. When I moved geographically from the UK to the United States is I wanted to do some things that would help relaunch my career within a North American marketplace as opposed to a global marketplace. And I thought, I want to do that book right. So what I did is I took the book Magic Words and I wrote it in the way that it should have been written first time around. I took 12 months taking all of my biggest of ideas when it comes to conversational success. And I said, how do I distill this down into the smallest big book that was possible? Work with the best book designer that I could possibly find, work with the best marketing team that I could possibly find, and work with the best editing team that I could possibly find. I wrote the book in half a day. I spent 12 months editing it. Hmm to be able to make sure it was a tool that was useful into the marketplace. Um, and that's where the book Exactly What to Say has come from. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that its, its success has been what it was is because the market has told me that this is what it wanted, not my idea. It was the market that said, this is what we need help with. What's the most rewarding part about having written that book? Oh, the most rewarding part is um, daily I get strangers reaching out whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, whether it's via email, whether it's through my assistant that comes back to me in a forwarded message that was like, I've struggled with this stuff for years. And in an hour, I read through your book and I found clarity and confidence in conversation that I haven't had for decades. And I get responses like that regularly. And then I get experienced sales professionals that's like, why didn't I read this book 20 years ago? Think of the situation I'd be in. Or I get entrepreneurs saying the same thing. And then I get like kids saying, um, this has helped me to be able to get my first job, or this has helped me to have some conversation to be able to ask the girl that I wanted to go to the dance with. <laughs> or I get um, wives saying that I've had this like four times. I always used to be able to struggle to ask my husband to take out the trash, and now I've got the words. Right? So it doesn't matter. It's like all over the page with where people are coming at me from is saying, this has made a difference in my life. And, and, and that, that's why I do this work. Right? I do this work to be able to make a difference, to be able to have an impact and, and, and seeing that go full circle. And now that the book's been in the world for, for like two and a half and into its third year is, is I'm having some people reach out that are telling me how it's impacted over a sustained period of time too. And you're like, that was somebody who was here in a company that has now gone on to be able to start their own company that is now over here in terms of the success that they're having in their life through their own design. And they're like, you know, your book wasn't all of it, but it was a catalyst to change. 
How have you changed in this process? Um, the biggest change that's come to me through this process is, is you know, I grew up teaching people to um, have more effective conversations always for commercial gain. That's where my work was deep-rooted. The applications for this work are like way broader than I could ever have imagined. So I've been teaching HR managers to get a seat at the table within, um, within their corporations. I've been teaching nurses to be able to give better news to people who have bad news. I've been teaching kids how to be um, more confident in their conversations as to how they might get into colleges. I've been looking at the impact that word choices could have in written copy through marketers. And this whole area of conversational language is, is taking me into, into dozens of different areas and even into politics and, and, and things that I'd never considered as being my area of expertise but because my expertise is, is is something that is so narrow that is also so broad other industries and other sectors have come to me and i've got to play and uh, i guess final question here um you know you're a parent and uh you know with six month old twins are you worried that this is going to backfire you backfire on you someday that they're going to be able to get a much better allowance or, or something i else? hope so <laughs> i really hope so you, you know i i I think that, that one of the biggest things that stands in the way for young people in our world is they don't have the confidence to ask for the things that they want in their life. And, and you know, I hope that my kids go on to be able to have effective, persuasive, influential conversations in the world and, and have a strong opinion and have a strong worldview and feel that they're prepared to be able to speak up on that, whatever that means to them. So, yeah, I, I hope that they do. Counter of which is just because I know how to do this stuff doesn't mean I always do it. See, I'm almost very happy sometimes to... Um, to let something go and let it go by. I was at an event yesterday and, and, and a number of the people there were saying things like, you know, your wife must hate you that she can never win an argument. I'm like, my wife wins every argument. <laughs> right? I'm okay with that. But my work is my work and my personal life is my personal life. They don't have to, you know, be intertwined in the same way. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D. of D. Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast. <laughs>